We're glad you're here with us this morning as we go line by line and verse by verse. I'm really excited about being in the book of Acts. I, you know, we've spent the last two Sundays going over three verses. Three verses. The Lord has a lot for us in this book. I mean, it's the foundation of the early church, and, you know, as we look through this, uh, obviously we got acquainted with the book, but I think more importantly, as we looked at these 40 days in which Jesus Christ spent time with that last-minute discipleship boot camp. I don't know how else to call it. That's, that's what he did before he ascended and risen to heaven, right? In front of those, all those eyewitnesses went over 500 people. There was a time where he made sure that the disciples, before he left, they understood exactly what was coming and what they should be waiting for. And that was what? The Holy Spirit, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, wait here until... Now, it's interesting because as we go back and we look, we know that well, in the book of John, specifically verse 22, we know that what happened? Jesus Christ breathed, right? Remember that? He breathed on the disciples and it said that the Holy Spirit indwelt them. So we're going to see something different here today as we look at a baptism or as the scriptures call it, we today as Christian, we use Christianese, don't we? We sometimes get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we understand what that is. But what the Bible, what scripture actually records it as is the promise of the Father. That's what we're going to see here as we, we begin today in verse 4, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and we go through our reading and our passage today. This was the promise of the Father. Now, before we pray, I have to ask everyone here, if your Father in heaven has a promise for you, do you not want it, right? Is there anybody here this morning that would go, you know what, that's a good suggestion, but not so much, right? No, we, uh, are you, Lord, anything else? Any other promise? Of course, right? We have over 1,200 different promises God's given us in Scripture, but but I think it's important that he says this is the promise, something that he had already begun to teach through Luke as he had spoke you know, to Luke as, a, as, as really a doctor there coming through and Jesus had spoken and Luke understood that and he said you too need to wait for the promise of the Father. So we're going to see it in two different places and I think it's just important that we all today, we're Christians, we go after his name. The church isn't something that's new and uh, meant to be uh, this thing that's a building, or the church is the body of Christ. And so we need to know how, as disciples, we're to live, to live according to the, the will and purpose Jesus Christ has created in our lives. Sounds good? Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we just thank you here again this morning, Lord, that uh, you're with us, Lord, that you, that you have indwelt us, each and every one of us that's a born-again believer in you, Jesus, that we do have the Holy Spirit with us. But, but Lord, we know, we know here, as we read even this morning, God, that you have the promise of the Father, that you have told us that there is, there is more, there is a power that will come upon high, God, and that, that you didn't expect us to do this in our striving, Lord. If any of us are here going, well, I just, I'm not good enough, I've tried, I've done this this way, I've, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work this, I'm trying to do that, Lord, we, we all know that we fall short of your glory. Lord, we know that we, we can aim and ask amiss, Lord, we, we know that, but but we also know that we can come to your feet, Lord, to your altar, and we can, we can humbly come before you, Jesus, and just ask for that fresh filling. Just ask for that baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promise that you want to give us here. And Lord, I am very excited that we get the opportunity to study your word here this morning, to learn more about you, to press into you, Jesus, to, to experience your perfect love for us, Lord. God, I pray again, um, especially in the passage we're in and brought it to my mind this morning. God, I, I wouldn't be able to stand up here, Lord, if you weren't leading. God, I want to do nothing of my own energy, nothing of, uh, of myself. God, I, I desire to do what you 
will, Lord, your purpose. And so, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak from this pulpit this morning, Lord, and that I would simply get out of the way. And I pray that you'd give hearts and minds and you would till up soil and in the hearts of your people here, your saints, God, and that you would just stir us in a way that would be all about relationship and not religion, Lord. We don't want to play church, Jesus. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll begin here in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and one of the ushers will bring you a Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. We have a lot to cover this morning. I'm, I'm praying that we'll get through uh, chapter 1, the rest of chapter 1 this morning here, but we'll see what the Holy Spirit does. So, It says, and being assembled together with them. Now, if you're taking notes or you take notes in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, that's being Jesus, right? Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I'd underline that, the promise of the Father. That's what we'll understand as he unfolds us to us. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which he said, again, speaking of Jesus Christ, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized, baptizo in the Greek, that's what that word is there, with water. We had our baptism, what, a week ago or more, right? And we saw what we have eight or i can't remember how many people came out they got baptized and when they came out of the water they were what they were dripping with water they were complete there wasn't a sprinkle right it was a full immersion that's what the word in the greek baptizo means it's a full immersion it's not a touching or a sprinkling so when we see the word here in the greek baptism immersion with the holy spirit that's different than indwelling we see a different word in the Greek also. He'll say, we'll come upon. We'll see that in chapter 2. That's epe in the Greek. Again, a different term in what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples. And then he leaves them with something that I don't know about you, but as I read this, and, and as I was thinking if I was the disciples there, I'm not sure if they knew the plan that Jesus was going to kind of ascend, his hands were going to go up, and he was going to start blessing them. And they're going to stand there and go, Wow like a rocket, just, you know, I don't know, maybe it was, I mean, the angels come, right? We see two angels come and kind of go, hey guys, what are you looking at? You know, why are you still looking up? You know, obviously they're sitting there and they're, they're mesmerized by what they're seeing. And I don't know, was it a 20 minute, like, yeah, there he goes, you know, or was, or was this like, you know, boom, you know, but either way, we know it was a point like, yep, I love you. You know, Jesus's hands are up. We read that in, um, the Gospel of Luke, his hands are up. He's praying for the church. He's praying for the body of Christ. He's ascending. He's going up, right? We read that in the last chapter of Luke. And he's blessing his church. And it says then they see him physically no more. So we don't know. Was it five minutes? Was it 20 minutes? But many, he, he tells them before he leaves, not many days from now. Now, Look, we're, we're here this morning. If I told you we're going to do something not many days from now, what would you say? Well, well, well Pastor Matt, what does that mean? Are, a day? Are we talking many days, five days? Is a couple, two? How are we defining this here? What, what are you, you know, what's going to happen? And I'm sure the disciples were looking at Jesus going, Peter, it's your turn again. You know, you ask him, right? You know, because Peter's, Peter's like insert foot, mouth, right? And we give, I give Peter a hard time, but we're going to see a different Peter here. You know, we're going, to see, we're going to see a different Peter. We're not going to see Simon Barjona anymore. We're going to see Peter, who will become the leader, uh, really, of the church as we see it. Now, I will mention this as well. We don't see anywhere where Peter's called a pope. That's very, very important. There's no place we see in any of the scripture where Peter's called a pope. There's no thing where we see that anybody who has uh, evacuated seat, other than Judas, which was 
and we'll explain as we get to this, very important, Judas' receipt of one of the 12 was replaced because what? I believe the reason for that, and this is the only seat, if I could say it that way, replaced, was why? Because we don't want, or should I say Christ didn't want anyone to come back and say, see, Satan won, he got, a, he got one, you know, victimized one of them. He took one of them out. No. Matthias, we know, will take that place, and we know that they're going to do it through prayer and the Word, and we're going to go through that this morning here. But I think it's important to understand, we don't see that when Peter, you know, is martyred, we don't see someone coming as though there's a pope, papal ascension or anything like that. We don't see it with James when he's martyred in Jerusalem. We see nobody handing off that way. There's nothing like that. That is man-made and tradition. And last I checked, God told us to go by the living word of God that's God-breathed, and he never asked my opinion or other men's opinions about how the church should be managed. Amen? Amen. All right. So as we look here in verse 4, there's a couple things that should jump out at us. Obviously, we're told, they were told, to wait for the promise of the Father. You know, I like that. Luke, if you turn back a few, just quickly, two books there, Luke chapter 24, look at verse 49 with me, right? Luke gives similar instruction by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus tells us, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, right, or endowed, right, with the power from on high. So there's something else that, that is happening here, and we know that I think most of us as believers, we, we do understand that we could do nothing apart from Jesus Christ, amen? But do we also understand that God is telling us here that we can do nothing apart from His Holy Spirit? That it wasn't His design that we sort of strive or work or create these machinations to kind of you know, create something, kind of lather it. I, I use the, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful of anybody, but you know, when I see people uh, and, they, and they, they're, you know, they really want to be in the Spirit of God and they're, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they want some sign or they want something like that, I, I joke around all the time, I say, well, you don't need to lather it up. It's not something you take like a bar of soap in your hands and you lather it up. No. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He's absolutely capable of presenting Himself and giving the gifts that you need, that I need, to accomplish His work and purpose. Because after all, going back to Genesis on Wednesdays, what was our very purpose? To bring glory to God. Why were we created? To bring glory to God. Why do we have the matrimony of marriage, right? The one man, one woman to do what? A man, a woman is to be what? Comparable to man so that together we could glorify God. That was the very design from the beginning. God hasn't moved off His plan that way. We're to glorify God. So He tells us, look, you can do nothing without the Spirit of God being upon you. And notice Luke uses that term too in the Greek. And that's epe. That's not the indwelling. Indwelling is when you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you, your salvation, salvinic we call it, you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. He indwells you. So we don't see any contradiction here because some will go through, well, since you're there, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20 and let, let's look at verse 22. Just so we cover the scripture because it's good from an apologetic perspective to be able to come back and explain why we believe what we believe to give a defense for the faith we have, right? Look at John chapter 20, look at verse 22. As, as the apostles are being commissioned here, you know, Jesus begins with peace be with you, right? 
And this is, this is even before really Thomas. So this is before eight days later, he remember he appears to the disciples again and Thomas is there. We, don't, we know the first time Thomas was not there, the first appearing to the disciples. So we know it's before the eight days chronologically. But he comes up to him in verse 22 and he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is not epe. This is not in the Greek epe. This is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is Hey, receive the Holy Spirit. You're a born-again believer. The Holy Spirit's going to do what? Indwell you. He's going to live in you. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? He teaches us, right? He, who, who opens the Scriptures to us? But the Holy Spirit. Who's the one that, that helps us to understand the will of God? Who testifies of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit. That's the third, the working of the third person of the Holy Trinity. It's not an it, it's a he, it's a pronoun. It's represented in the Hebrew and the Greek throughout all 66 books of the Bible. It's a he. And, and he's, he's pretty strong about that, that he wants to be called a he, the Holy Spirit, right? And so as we read here, it says, Behold, I send a promise of my Father, right? We, we talked about that. But then in John chapter 20, 22, he says he breathed on them and he dwelt them. But this isn't the immersion, this isn't what he just talked to us about in Acts where he says you need to be immersed because he used the word baptizo in the Greek in the Holy Spirit. Upon. You see that with me? Is everybody tracking with me? You see that? I mean, you might not have the Greek in front of you. I don't know if your Bibles have the translation, but if, I'd encourage you, be Bereans. Go back and look at the words. God's not grammatically challenged. He doesn't struggle with words. He, he very intentionally put the words, and he used much different words to explain the indwelling when you're saved and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior salvinically compared to when you receive the power from on high to do what? To do what you want to do? Is that what he said? No, it's for the will of God to carry out the purpose and plan he has for your life because after all, is everybody here in ministry? Yes, you are. You're on mission for Jesus Christ. You're others focused. That was what? The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Right? You with me? So as we go through here, we could see that he wanted these disciples to be spirit-led. Right? And wouldn't this follow after Jesus Christ himself? What is the first thing Jesus Christ did? Do you remember? After, he, after we, we read, just read Mark's account, he was there before he even went and was baptized. He had come up. He had gone to John the Baptist. He had said, look, you're going to baptize, right? Water, immersion. You're going to baptize me, right? And so he goes, okay. And he, and he says, well, you know, I'm not worthy to tie your shoe. You know, we know the, the passage there. And what happens? He's baptized by John. Let it be so. He's baptized, immersed. He comes out. We see something, two things happen. One, he's baptized, an outward profession showing death and life, right? We know Jesus Christ was without sin. It's not like us when we symbolize we go underwater we're dead to our sin alive to christ right we understand that jesus christ had no sin but that's why john was like why you need to be baptized right what are you doing you, you have no sin but but he said let it be so because what he was giving us and a lesson, an example, right? He was showing it to us, an action sermon. I don't know how else to call it. It was an illustration of what we are to do, and it was a command. And then after we're baptized, what, did we, what happened next? We then see the parting, and then the term, again, go back and look at the Greek. What does the Holy Spirit do? Does it, it, comes, it descends upon him. It comes upon him. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then what happens? Then it says the Holy Spirit leads him out. Where? To the wilderness. Who let him out? The Holy Spirit did. To be what? Tempted. 
Why was he being tempted? So he could be tempted in all things and still overcome without sin so that you and I, as we face temptation, we can come to a Savior that knows in all ways the way we too have been tempted. There's nothing our God doesn't understand. He's a loving, compassionate God. There's nothing we'll ever go through. There's never a circumstance we'll ever go through that Jesus Christ himself can't not only empathize, but truly, truly minister to us and help us and encourage us. I'm so thankful for our God that way. He's the God-man. He came physically. So we see that happening, right? And, and then what happens? And then, and then obviously we see him quoting scripture. Three times, right? The enemy, the accuser, the devil comes. And what does he do? He goes and says, well, you know, you're, you're Jesus Christ. You're this Messiah, you know, Yeshua. Well, then you should do this. You know, you don't need, you're hungry. Why don't you grab some bread? And does Jesus Christ, you know, do what I think I would have done or you would have done, you know, I'm wrecked by cartoons. Yeah, you remember back, you know, you grew up with the Bugs Bunny, the whole, and, and there was the dog. Remember the old dog? Come here, Spock. You know, and he'd give him a little, and I, you know, he's God, right? He's sitting there, but what does he do? I love this about our Lord. He gives us another example. When somebody's challenging us that way or somebody's trying to entice us with sin, what do we go back to? The Word of God. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? word that proceeds forth from, yeah, the mouth of God. You see that? I love how he, so he's given us this example that we're to be spirit-led. And even after he overcame the temptation, he went out, and then what did he do? He was now equipped and baptized with the Holy Spirit, and what begins? The Galilean ministry. The Galilean ministry. It is is no different for you and I. He wants that. That's why it's the promise of the Father. He wants that same thing for us. And as he left them, here going back to verse 4 and 5, he had told them, first, they had been assembled together. This is one of the first times we see them in unity. I mean, you think about the disciples before that. It's who's better than who, who's going to be, you know, I got mom interceding for the boys. You know, hey, well, can my son have this role? Can we have this, you know? like a good Italian mom would, a good Hebrew mom, right? You know, who's going to, you know, can my son have second and third? You know, you don't know what you ask. You know, this is for my father in heaven to give, not me. Jesus goes through that whole thing. But now we see a different group of disciples. They had, what? They had left him initially. Remember that? They had fled other than John. We know John was there. Peter had looked on from, but they had fled. But now we see these disciples, they come in unity. This is one of the markings of the church, the early church. We don't see division, we see unity in the body of Christ. When God is leading, when the Holy Spirit leads, we see unity in the body of Christ, not division, number one. So as we continue and we look through this, then what happens, right? Well, he shows them that they can't do this on their own. And I don't know about you, but then we get to the point where he says, oh, and by the way, not many days from now, you know, wait for it. And I'm a terrible waiter. I, I don't wait well, you know. I, I can't think of anything that I wait well on. It's not even like I could give myself a little credit to say, oh, well, I wait for, you know. No, I mean, if I'm hungry, it's like, you know, mangiamo, where's the food? We got to eat, you know. I, I'm, I don't know. I, maybe I'm alone like that. I just, I've always, you know, let's go, let's go. You get into a store, you're in a line. Inevitably, you know, there's 50 people in front of me and they've each got one item and they're all writing checks, right? Like they don't, nobody uses the credit card. Nobody's got cash. And I'm like, all I wanted to do is stop and get chicken for dinner to bring home and Lisa's going to make, the, you know, the whole thing. And, and inevitably, what does God do in those moments though? Strikes up conversations, doesn't he? People begin to turn. Hey, what do you do? Or what's going on? How was your day? And Lord, right now, really? I'm, I, I just, Lord, I want to go home. I'm tired, you know. 
right? I, I'm being real. I always be, I'm always trans- we, we think that way sometimes. We get tired, right? But God says it doesn't work that way. He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. He says, he'll do the work. It's not for you to do it. He'll do it through you, in you. And that's what's beautiful about it. That's what we see here, you know? And obviously, none of us say likes testing and waiting, but that's what we see here. There's a testing that's going to go on in this waiting, too. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I think there's a great passage here. It's one book over there. And if you look at Romans chapter 5, and we'll look right around verse 4 here, right? Now, this word for perseverance here, it can be translated in in the Greek again to patience. Perseverance is not a bad word. It's, 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 It's kind of connoting patience with a little bit more, right? It's the idea of sticking with it. Um, so it's not, it's not a, like a, a temporary patience, but a, a continued patience, right? How many people here want to pray for patience this morning? Anybody? Any takers? Right? Most people are like, no, man, last time I prayed for patience, three-hour, you know, delay in traffic, and I, I tell you what, I laugh, because you can go anywhere in the world and ask that question, everybody comes, but no, nah, we're, we're, you know, Lord, thank you for the patience you've given us, you know? But, uh, but, but we see here, and it's, it's great, because he's telling us what? In verse 4, he says, and patience, what? What's this all talking about? Actually, start in verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce what? Patience or perseverance that way. And patience or perseverance produces what? Character. And character, hope. You see, this is part of the equation. I, I, I say it often, you've heard me say it. You can't microwave church. You can't microwave discipleship. We're living in a society where we want everything fast. You know, I want it now. I, I, I go into a line I just talked about. I don't like waiting in lines, the whole thing. We want everything microwaved. But God needs time because he has perfect time to do a work in our hearts, and he doesn't do it against our will. He does it with our will. So he softens us. He, he allows us to, to become refined, salted with fire, broken, you might even say, to where he, our hearts are a little more pliable. Things aren't so rigid because I don't know about you, you wake up in the morning, you know, you get over 40 years old, you start to wake up in the morning, things just, you know, creak and they don't make the same noises or I never had noises. I got pops waking up in the morning, pop, pop, pop. I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? And, you know, you bench and it's like, you know, you start moving around and then you kind of feel more flexible a little bit, right? Can you imagine if God went up and just said, okay, salvation, sanctification, pop. Can you imagine that? But sanctification is over a lifetime. There's a change of heart with salvation, salvinic, and then there's sanctification that proceeds forth. It's, it's not as though we ever arrive, right? Ephesians 4, what's the work of the ministry? For the perfecting of the saints until we are complete in Christ. But it's Jesus. It's never us. It always point, it's a process. And that's what we see here. It's this character, this weight on it. You know, and I think, I'm, again, I'm wrecked by TV. I think of all the, wait for it, wait for it. You know what I mean? And I'm reading through that. I'm like, wait for it. And I'm feeling like, you know, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm wrecked. Be careful, Christian, what you watch, see, and hear. But, but this promise of the Father, you see, this belongs, this empowering, it belongs to all of us. It's a gift for us. Now, it's very important. The Scriptures are very clear that all people are God's creations, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. I think we'd all agree on that. All people are God's creations. And God clearly told us in John's, he loves the entire world. Not an elect, but the entire world, everyone, right? But then we see again that 
only those who are born again receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and and dwelt with the Holy Spirit are the children of God. And this promise is of the Father. Now, if it's of the Father, who are we? The children, and He's our Abba, Daddy, Father, right? We understand that from Scripture. Where do we get that? John chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 11, verse 52. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're the children of God. This is a promise. If your father comes to you, and, and Jesus Christ even gave the example in Sermon on the Mount and other times, if he says, if I come to bear good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father, your earthly father, in other words, how much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts? This is a promise of the father. And if he has something for you, shouldn't we have our hands open to receive it? But we do have a process in this, and we have to receive it. It's never against our will. He doesn't violate our free will. Jesus Christ is a gentleman every single time. He never, ever forces his will upon us. So we, mu- we, receive ju- we, we see here, I should say, that it's received just like everything else we see in the promises of God in the Bible, which is by what? Faith. By faith. Everything else we see that way is received by faith through Scripture. And if you look at verse 5 here, it's, it's fitter, like I said, it's fitting we just covered this, this because we were just had the baptism last week, right? And we looked at that word, and it doesn't mean sprinkle. It was for immersion. I've sort of talked about that a little bit. But the idea here is it's a complete immersion of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen someone be completely immersed in a pool if they're baptized and come out perfectly dry? No. Have you ever seen them come out and kind of, you know, just slightly dripping? No. I mean, you get out of the pool. We just had 10 people get, they got out of the the water, the lake, the river, wherever you are, and you are immersed. And what happens if you come next to somebody like that because you're congratulating them and you love them and you hug them, which we, we had, that's what happened with the body of Christ. We had folks do that. You hug them and what did you come away with? Wet. Oh my, what are you showing us here, Lord? that when you are truly immersed with the Holy Spirit and you are baptized, it's, it's like spending time with Jesus. You can't spend time with the God of love, mercy, and grace and not come away oozing with love, mercy, and grace for others. You can't do it. It's not possible. When you spend time with Jesus, you come away different. You come away trans, you know, transformed that way. All things made new. It's wonderful. And the same thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you are truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are immersed. You are given the giftings and the workings and all the things that you need. Now, I need to correct one thing here because I'm sure you're going to hear this from somebody somewhere that is eisegeting, reading into the Bible, or mirror reading is the term. Do you have to speak in tongues as proof that you've received the Holy Spirit? Not one place in Scripture do we see anywhere that it says for you to be in a born-again believer and baptized with the Holy Spirit that you have to speak in a tongue? That's man-made again. That's tradition. That's what happens. We saw it in the temptation of Christ where Satan would take a little scripture, he'd bring it in, salt it, and try to make it transition in a meaning or be something different. That's not the Word of God. And Jesus Christ always told us, you go back to the Word, let Scripture interpret Scripture. That's what he's told us, and he's, he's instructed us to do that. So as we're baptized, we should be this immersion. I mean, it's an immersion. I mean, there, there's nothing left over. You, you hug somebody, you're wet, you know, you, you're with the Holy Spirit. Somebody, well, we are just reading in Genesis. Pharaoh, an unbeliever, 
I love how the Lord connects the studies like this together. I love how the Holy Spirit does this. You just couldn't, you can't time this. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. Is we're in, in Genesis, right? And we're reading chapter 43 in that area. And we read about Pharaoh and Joseph. What, ha, what did Pharaoh say about Joseph? The Spirit of God is what? On this man or in this man. He knows nothing else about Christianity. He knows nothing else about, you know, Israel, you know, they despised the Hebrews. Remember, it was an abomination to them, the Hebrews, because they were shepherds, they were dirty, they were considered an abomination. And he looks upon Joseph, Pharaoh, who had only met him minutes before, and he gives an interpretation, gives glory to God before he does it, and he says, the Spirit of God, I sense the Spirit of God is on you. He's an unbeliever, and he can sense and see the Spirit of God. How much more believers? You know, how much more believers do we walk in the Spirit? Because as we get into the book of Romans and Galatians, we're going to be told very clearly, you're going to walk in two ways. What is it? You're either going to walk in the flesh or you're going to walk in the Spirit of God. It's very clear. You, you, there is no middle. Jesus already said, we don't do lukewarm, right? You're hot, you're cold. You're one or the other. You're either going to walk in the flesh or you're going to walk in the Spirit. It's your choice. In every single circumstance in our lives, we're given an opportunity to choose, you know? And so as we go through here and we look at this, I think it's fitting the way we just see it and we, it's brought out that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us as we read in John chapter 20. He's our teacher, our comforter, our helper. But we also see the second experience that we can have with the Holy Spirit here is the one that overflows us. Has everyone received that today? Has everyone been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you asked for the promise of the Father? It's not something that you have to earn. It's by faith, just like we read salvations by faith. There's nothing that's works-based about it. You receive it and you ask and you believe just as you do in faith. And you don't have to be afraid of it. I know there's a lot of very, our, our Pentecostal friends in the body of Christ. I know, you know, people worry, are they going to take streamers and they're, they're going to bark like dogs or throw themselves on the ground or who knows what charismania is going to... No. This is not about being led by emotion. It's not being entertained. It's not, it's not drawing attention to ourselves. What we see here is the work of the Holy Spirit is to do what? To do the work of Jesus Christ, to do the work of God for the glory of the Father. You see that? It's not about us. It doesn't draw to us. It draws back to Jesus Christ. If we're doing something in the Spirit and it's drawing attention to us, I, I'm sorry, I got to challenge you here. Is that a work of the flesh or is that a work of the Spirit? Are we lathering something up? Right? We, we, we need to test the spirits. You know, we don't have antennas that you know, just come up and go. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There are people that'll walk around. The Spirit of God told me this, and you read the Word of God, and it contradicts 50 different things that we have in Scripture. But I know it was the Spirit of God. Look, the Spirit of God, again, is not grammatically challenged. He's not going to write one thing in His Word and then tell you to go off and do something else. He doesn't do that. God's told us where to go to the what? To Scripture, the grid of Scripture, to test the thoughts, to renew our minds, to test the spirit so that we may know what is true and right from the living God. That's why we have the word. That's why he's told us, study this, learn this. And yet, aren't we living in a time where we have more biblically illiterate people than any other time throughout history? When you took the Bibles in 1960 and you took prayer out of schools and the Bibles out of, do you think that was coincidental? Our 
our enemy, Satan, the devil, the adversary, he knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't take a break. He wanted to dumb down. If we can get the Bibles out, that's why you can go into, here on the West Shore, East Shore, you can go to half, a, half of the churches and you check your, your, your Bible like, a, like you check your coat. You know, you don't need it. You carry it around, you bring it in, you set it down. How is that in any way being led by the Holy Spirit? How are you reading the Word of God and how is it transforming you? How are you walking out of here different? Did you come here to meet with a man or did you come here to meet with the living God? You came here to hear His Word. You came here to be transformed by what He shows us, by what's in His Word so that we can go out and be effective for His ministry, the ministry He's called us to. And that's why Jesus Christ said, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the baptism because without it you can do nothing according to my will for the kingdom of God. You can do nothing. He didn't say something. He didn't say wait a little bit. He didn't say, okay, you can try a little this your way and then once you, once you hit the, you know, like a fly hitting the window, boom, 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 like eight times, right? He didn't say that. He said, wait. And that's really hard because you've been given a commission and, I, you know, I think of the military. You know, I was in the Navy. I think a lot of times we'd get ready. We're going to deploy. Something's going to go on. Hurry up and wait. If you're in the military, you know that term. Hurry up and wait. You know, you'd get ready. You'd, okay, everything. And then what would you do? You'd hurry up and wait. You'd get in line. You're in formation. Okay, you're ready. You're disciplined. But it's not until the commanding officer gives you a directive that you take any step. Right? There's a chain of command. Is it the democracy of heaven or is it the kingdom of heaven? It's the kingdom of heaven. That means there's a king on the throne. He's not, he's not looking for opinions and suggestions of how to run the kingdom of God. He's already given us the model, and it's right here in the book of Acts, to be spirit-led believers so you can do the work of the ministry. Amen? All right. There's a lot here, and I, and I know we could gloss over it, and I know we could go through it quickly, but I just think it's important that Every one of us, if, if the God says there's a promise, we should live for that promise and understand it. And it should be our natural response to come back and say, all right. Now, here's another question today. Are we still waiting for something? Everybody's head should be going, yes. We just sang a few songs about it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, right? In the book of Revelation, John, one of the last things he writes, but come, Lord Jesus, come, right? Now, Look, we don't need to go through this right now from an eschatology perspective or from an end times, but we believe in Calvary Chapel of a rapture because that's what the Bible teaches in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. It's very simple. If you interpret Scripture through Scripture, which means we're waiting for what? For Jesus Christ to catch us up in the air so that the church doesn't come unto wrath because that's what the Bible teaches, right? That's not my opinion. You don't have a problem with me. You, this is what the Lord, this is what he taught, this is his word. And you can read it, and like I said, 1 Thessalonians, you can go through. I mean, there's a number of places through Scripture where we see this. The parousia, or parousia, right, compared to the harpazo, two different words in the Greek. Parousia is what? Second coming, or parousia. And then we have a rapture, which is harpazo in the Greek. I love that our Lord is given it this way, because it's just like we knew the difference in baptism, right? Baptizo, we know in Greek, we all understand immersion. We understand epe, upon. I love the original language. That's why we go back to it. So we know exactly what Jesus Christ is instructing us on. So we're not wandering aimlessly. Do you realize 
out of all the organized religions of the world, Christianity is the only one that has, and I won't say a book because they got books, I won't use that term, but we have a discipleship manual of how we are to lead our lives. You could say, well, what about the Book of Mormon? No, because the Book of Mormon goes off and it moves, it doesn't in any way gel back with what Scripture taught from the Old Testament or New Testament. You could say, well, what about, you know, another cult like Islam, right? They're, they're all cults, Mormon. They're, they're cults. We, we have to call them what they are. And so what if you go back to that? And all of a sudden you start, you know, well, take a sword and do this and chop off people's... I never saw Jesus say to do that. Where is that going back? It doesn't tie back into Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. Again, it's right through the grid of Scripture because that's what we're all called to do, Right? So I think that's pretty simple. Let's look at verse 6 here. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly easy here to browbeat the disciples. Like, I'm guilty as charged, right? I'll, I'll come against the boys. Boys, come on now. You know, all this going on, Jesus Christ, whether you knew it or not, he's about to rise. And the thing that you're still worried about is the kingdom of Israel and the Roman oppression that's going on right? The Roman oppression. Because remember, we, have, we don't have AD 70 yet. This book takes place over 30 years. We're probably somewhere around, you know, the first few year mark. You know, when Paul arrives on the scene, we're probably a little less than halfway through, right? When Paul, Saul, Tarsus, Paul arrives on the scene. So, I mean, we're still very early. We're very close to the time of Jesus Christ. And obviously in the passage we're in right now, he hasn't even, he's still in the 40 days. He's still with them. He hasn't even ascended yet. So, you know, he said, they're sitting there and they're going, what about, you know, the Roman oppression? What about the kingdom? And they had asked this a couple times as we read the Gospels. They had gone through and said, hey, when are, you know, when are we going to pronounce you king and you're going to overthrow the Roman oppression and rule, right? Remember that? They tried to do that in the book of John. I think it's John chapter 5 or 6, Bibereans. They tried to put a king. Even the disciples went to do that. Now, again, it's easy to kind of come back, but the question is, did they know he was going to ascend into heaven? Did they, did they understand what was unfolding before them? I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you get to the library in heaven, we need to go and watch the tape. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You know, Jesus Christ, where's the library? Okay, good. I, want, I actually want to see the ascension. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm really curious. Is it like a five-minute? Because then it's a really wait-for-it, wait-for-it moment. I, I will lose it. I'll, I'll be with the Lord, and I'll be like, wait for it, wait for it. And I know Jesus will look, and he'll like smile, because, you know, he'll... He'll get it. I don't think it's disrespectful or rude. I think he'd just be like, yeah, I get you. Come over here. What's wrong with you? You know, kind of, what's wrong with you? You know, I told you, you're wrecked. Stop watching that stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> as I, as I, I'm just, I really am wrecked by that. But I mean, if you, or was it with this fast thing that he gets up there and he's just like, you know, hey, you're blessed. I love you all. I'm out. You know, physically, I'm out. You know, so we, we don't know. But clearly here, I think, it's interesting that they didn't know. And if you were going to ask Jesus Christ one of the last questions you'd ask him, what would it be? You know, you, you probably know, want to know something futuristic. What's going to happen? If you are leaving, what's going to happen here? What, what's, I mean, we're, at this point, they'd already started facing oppression. Some of it was from their brothers, Jews at this point, Jewish oppression, which will be eventually called Judaizing as we'll see in Colossae and, and throughout the churches that they'll come by and Judaize, they'll, they'll trip, put a trip of legalism on them, if I can say it that way. That'll be what comes. But already now, there was oppression to the Christian that was stepping out, that was, you know, technically they're not even called a church yet. It's not until Antioch, 
right? That they formed the actual name Christian Church. But we're not there yet in Acts. So the point is, if, if they're at this point and Peter's there and you know, he's going to stand up in a leader. We have 120 that are gathered in a room, disciples, right? So there weren't just 12 disciples. You, you know that because there were 70 that were sent out. There were others that had come along. Some speculate three to 500, maybe even thousands, because he at least appeared to 500 people before he ascended with those 40 days. So something's happening here, but the first thing that they want to know is, hey, are you going to restore Israel now? Now, where would they get that idea? that Israel would be restored under a new covenant. What do you think they started to do for the first time in Scripture? What do we see the disciples do? A difference compared to what we didn't see them to do when they walked with Jesus for that three and a half years or three years. They started searching the Scriptures out. And what did they do? They went to Jeremiah chapter 23. They looked at verses 1 through 8. They went to Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 13 through 20. They went to chapter 37 of Ezekiel, chapter 20, uh, verses 21 through 28, which all talk and promise of the restoration of Israel under the new covenant. So you and I are here this morning. Many of us are Zionists. In other words, we support and believe that just as Genesis 12 says, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. Right? We believe that. God, again, isn't tripped up when he's writing and inspiring the word of God in the book of Genesis. So as we understand that today, why are so many people coming against the church with this replacement theology notion that the church now replaces Israel? Again, I talked about the 1960s when they said, when they said they took prayer and the Bible out of what? Out of schools. It was intentional warfare, spiritual warfare. Are we not seeing the same thing against Israel today? Has there ever been a nation that's been so despised with the genocide and the murder and the strife that's been brought up against that country and those people? And did God say there was anything super miraculous about those people? No, right? He didn't initially. What did he say? He says, I chose you to be a witness to the other nations. You are my chosen people. But it wasn't because they did something so extraordinary as a people. God shows favor to whom God chooses to Show favor, he tells us in this word. So as we look at Israel here and we, we begin to look at this, we could, we could understand that they're saying, hey, when are, you in, when are you restoring the kingdom of Israel to its rightful place? Because it was prophesied that it would happen. You know, friends, I don't know that we will actually see that. I believe Ezekiel chapter 37 is already on the scene. 1948, you know, the dry bones... They're back. In 1948, Israel's already come back into their land. The dry bones are living. We're seeing the tissues and everything grow back on. I mean, look at what's going on, and you go over there and you study. Look at their, their agriculture. Do you know that they water everything from the root system up, not from top down? Not like we do. We use evapotranspiration or we use water where we'll, we'll water plants and it hits the leaves and goes into the roots and everything. They have underground um, water systems that water the roots directly and they have amazing produce, amazing things that are coming out of Israel. Is there any coincidence? No, because it's prophesied. Zechariah, we see it in Ezekiel, that they would have this lush land. And if you went before 1948, do you know what it was when they were brought back into their land? It was all barren again. It was all desert. There was nothing there. And yet God did a work. So you could 
again, it's easy to kind of beat up on the boys. Oh, come on, what are you asking about Israel again? But no, they wanted to know because they knew the prophecy. They knew the new covenant. And they were asking, hey, we know what you did in that upper room. That supper you ushered in, that last supper you ushered in the new covenant. It was your shed blood. There was something fundamentally different than anything else we see. There was a spiritual transaction done on that cross. Sin was taken care of, past, present, and future, forever. Forever. They understood they were under a new covenant. No question about it. And now they're asking questions like that. Let's look at verse 7. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, there it is, circle it, epe, upon you, and you shall be witnesses. That word witnesses in this book is used over 29 times. Do you think it matters to God that we're witnesses? Over 29 times in the Greek, he uses this word witnesses. To me, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we'll see that as this book unfolds in Acts. We actually see these things happen, just as in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the, the end of the earth. Now, but can you imagine them hearing this, though? Right? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. There he goes again, not many days from now. What is that? Come on, Lord. We know you're going. Give us kind of just, just a little hint. You know, just give us a little bit here. What, you know, right? I mean, we're no different than they would have been. We, what, what's what's going to happen? He says, but it's not for you to know. That's not what you need to be focused on. What are you to be focused on here? Now, we're to be aware of the times and seasons. Matthew 24 tells us that. But what are we to really be focused on? Are we to be focused on, Lord, I just want to be raptured out of here. I want to be separatist. I want to be Anabaptist. I want to, I want to just lock myself in a farm somewhere and just kind of do what I do. Or has he called us to be part of a great commission to go out and to do what? To tell people about Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, and to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to do. So we can see here, I, I, just, I think it's, it's simple that we can see that there's two aspects of this. The first, as I just laid out, sure, there's a natural inclination as a human to want to know when, how. But I believe this is divine protection. If you were a disciple 2,000 years ago, and Jesus would have just laid it down hot, and he would have said, hey, man, it's about 2,000, maybe 3,000 years, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come back, you know, capture my bride, bring him up in the air, twinkling of an eye, harpazo, out of here. What do you think they would have responded? 3,000 years. You want what? And you want me to go to Judea and Samaria? Jerusalem, they're killing us over there. They just, just, you know, killed Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus, you you were there. It was you. Are you with me? I mean, like, you want me to go and you want me to do what? You want me to witness in Jerusalem, the very place that they just took our Savior's life? Judea, we've been there. We've gone through that. Don't you remember when we made our treks through Judea? And they wanted nothing to do with us afterwards. We did our signs and wonders and they said, thanks, you know, get lost. Samaria, the Samaritans, the half-breeds, you want us to go talk with the half We don't even want to walk by those people. And now you want us to go and minister to them? The Gentiles, really? The rest, I mean, that's what he says, right? He says, the ends of the earth, the Gentiles, that's what that's talking. You want me to go to the Gentiles? Can you imagine how they would have responded? How would we respond? 
How would you respond right now when Jesus Christ has already come to you and said, I call you to do this very thing, same thing? This was not just for the apostles of the early church. The 120 are there. This is exactly for you and I today. The book, the book of Acts, and I'm going to say this in a way, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, but the book of Acts is still being written today through our lives because it is the body of Christ. You and I, we are the church. The church isn't a building you go into. It's living, it's breathing, it's, it's literally kept by the Holy Spirit. It's inspired, it's indwelt, it's baptizal, it's immersed in the Holy Spirit, and it goes forth according to the will and purpose of the Holy Spirit. Do, do you realize that? I mean, do you realize we are part of the greatest fabric of God's creation, His bride? And it was because we started with a simple choice of receiving Him as Lord and Savior. We didn't even know the blessing that was in store for us when we said, I will, I do. We didn't even understand it all. We didn't understand the promises of the Father. We, did, we simply had faith, humility of heart, and faith to say, Lord, I surrender. I want to live after you, your likeness, your image. I want to do it your way. Forget Frankie Sinatra. He ain't got it. You do, Lord. I want to do it your way. Amen? And that's what we see unfold here. And, and it's beautiful because they were given what was needed to overcome. I, I said I think it's divine pr protection here because think of your circumstances. Think of the things you've gone through. Have you ever had it, and I know everybody's gonna, hand's going to go up so you don't need to raise your hand, but have you ever had a trial followed by a trial right after? Right? That never happens to us, right? You know, if you listen to the faith and prosperity stuff out there, they'll make you think you're crazy. Oh, you should be living for all the blessings, and why aren't you flying first class and all that? Where do I see that in Scripture? I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I see that I'm to have joy in the Spirit, but I don't see that I'm supposed to have... No, my God, your God, was crucified on a cross. The early apostles and disciples were all martyred. There was oppression, affliction, and every single time that the body of Christ was afflicted or oppressed, guess what happened? Did it shut down? No, it multiplied in ways that we have never seen throughout history in any other organized religion, because it's relationship and not religion, but we've never seen that. I mean, you can go back and, well, you know, the Muslim faith, it's Islam, it's growing fast. Yes, it is. It's second and kind of closing to the first growing religion when you look around. But it's not growing the way that through, I guess you'd say through oppression, affliction, if anything, it's the aggressor, not the, not the recipient that way, right? As, if I can say it that way. And I'm not saying everyone, please understand me, I'm not saying everyone that practices Islam is, is, a, is a terrorist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, but the religion itself, if you read the book, that's what it teaches. That's what it teaches. It's, it's a holy jihad. That's what they call it. It's a religious war. And we have to be real. And I know there's some of you this morning going, oh man, that's, that's deep. I, I don't want to talk about that. I get afraid. When, you know, look it. You have the living God living inside you. As the Bible said, what can anyone do to you? What can anyone do to you? They could touch the body, but they cannot touch the spirit and soul. Do you realize that? You're invincible in the will of God for as long as he's got you serving in the purpose he has you for. 
And nothing can come against you that way because he's the one that allows it. He opens and shuts doors which no man can open and shut. Amen? That's the word of God. That's the God we serve. So he tells us here in verse 8, he says, but I want you to receive this power. Now, what power? What's this word? Deutimos, right? In the Greek. What's the word we get from that today? You've, you've maybe heard me. Dynamite. So is that, a, I mean, when I think of dynamite, do I think a little pop in the corner? Or do I think of like a boom, right? It's an explosion, a boom, right? That's the overwhelming, that's the power from on high that comes in. Does that mean that you have to jump around and act like a, a crazy person when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and you carry on like that and charismania? And all? No, because the Holy Spirit, I've never seen anywhere in Scripture, in you Bereans, where he doesn't do everything in decency and in order. Everything is done in decency and order. That's how he works. He doesn't turn around and he doesn't force people just like Jesus does. And he's a gentleman. He doesn't force people. People, Well, I just had to stand up and I had to do a cartwheel in the aisle because the, the Holy Spirit made me do it. Really? Show me anywhere in Scripture where he's done that with anyone else. You can't. You won't. He does everything in decency and order. He leads us. But it requires us to be led. Amen? It requires us to be led that way. So we see this dunamis that's coming upon them, and they see this is the natural result of receiving the promise from the Father. This is what you get when you receive the promise of the Father, the very best He has for you. It's not this little firecracker in the corner, pop. No, it's dunamis. It's the power. It's the dynamite. It's the very best. And it's not something we can manufacture. It's not something we can lather up. Have you ever been in a situation where you're, you're sharing openly the scriptures and you, you don't know what you're really going to say next? You've presented the truth, the word of God, and somebody responds and hears that and they, they just go, well, I don't, I don't believe that. And you're like, well, okay. And they're not comfortable with you saying, okay. They're, well, no, you have to debate me on this and there's more to this. And it's like, well, no, you have a free will and choice, but you know, Jesus loves you. I just want to leave you with that. Jesus loves you. No matter what you believe or don't believe, Jesus loves you. And you begin to kind of go down that road with him. And you think you're done. And then all of a sudden, you open your mouth and out comes scripture that you didn't even know you had written in the tablet of your heart. And you become speaking the perfect words of Christ that are coming right out of your mouth. And this person's eyes, you can see the difference. They dilate. All of a sudden, you know, the focus, the eyebrows go up. They're tuned in. They're listening in a way that when you were speaking for it, you were speaking truth. But it wasn't maybe through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't through the lead. But now it's being led by the Holy Spirit. You're getting out of the way. You don't even have the time to remember what you say. You know what I mean? That's one of the ways you know it's the Holy Spirit because you're like, you can't even like pat yourself on the back or high five because you don't know what just happened. All you know is the guy or gal just turned around and just broke down, started coming. You know, they either said, hey, Jesus, I want Jesus in my heart now. And you're like, what? What just happened? How did that happen? And you're just, you're wrecked, you know? And you're like, Lord, why can't we do that every time? Remember, Paul prayed that. Paul turned around and he said, I want to go down to Rome. Remember that? And he was told, no, you're not going to go to Rome right now. You, oh, you'll end up in Rome. That will be my plan, but, but not the way you think it's going to go. You see, Paul too wanted to do things, and he had to be gently massaged or put into the right place of where the will of God was for his life. 
You see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave us there this morning. We, we made it through, well, another five verses. Lord has a lot for us. I, I, this is a great example. I have plans to go through all of chapter one. The Holy Spirit says, no, we're going to camp out on these areas. We're going to get all the meat off the bone. We're not going to rush this. And, and, and you know what? Just like when he says you're to be the witnesses for Christ, you know what? That's what I too want. I want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. If I came to you and said to you, hey, you're a follower of something, the way, Jesus Christ, it was called the way in the beginning of the church before it was called Christianity, the way. But I didn't tell you what the way was. You would have every opportunity to come out and do what was right in your own eyes. But our God told us that I desire obedience more than I desire sacrifice. He says, I desire mercy more than I desire sacrifice. Remember Samuel? He tells us that in Samuel, right? What is God communicating to us? He communicates that I love you and I've given you grace and mercy, but I've also commanded you to be obedient to my scriptures that carry out the purpose, and I want you to have the promises of my Father. I want you to have the very best that I have for you because I know if I don't give you it, you can't possibly do the work I've called you to do. And the work I've called you to do is spirit-led and spirit-driven. And when I introduced the book of Acts with you all, I remember I said, well, I appreciate the name of the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Spirit-led Apostles. And that same guidance and provision that was available for those disciples 2,000 years ago is available for us today. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you have not had that experience where you have asked for the promise of the Father, after service is over, I'd invite you to come up. We'll pray over you. And it's a matter of you receiving it. It's a matter of you asking for the promise of the Father, which He's already promised to you. It's yours. Do you want to walk in the Spirit or do you want to walk in the flesh? Because you're going to make a choice and walk in one or the other. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray and we'll close with worship. Go ahead and read ahead. As you've probably done three times now, that's okay. <laughs> we'll keep reading ahead and we'll get through, as the Lord should lead, maybe verse 26. I was preparing to say read through chapter 2, so I'd encourage you to go ahead and do that. And uh, you know what? Let's be Spirit-led. Let's, let's, not, let's not strive any longer. Let's lay it down, whatever we've been wrestling with, whatever we've been, you know, trying to concoct in the idea of that it's for the kingdom of God. Let's lay it down now at the feet of Christ and let's be spirit-led believers where we follow His will and His purpose. Amen.